the record button has been pressed. So it is time for Is this yours, Joel? Joel's finding the flow. Like real philosophical sort of discussions. You know when people get high. <laughs> it's pure Joel. Don't count your fans before they hit. But we hit a flow in the conversation. Um, I think I'm open. I mean, I'm in my mind with. I think I'm gonna hit. Finding the flow with Joel Franklin. Hello, everybody. Um, so I have with me today in the studio Jerry Lebrizzi. Um, and I'll get to her soon, but, uh, I, uh, had a pretty brief, um, so I haven't, I haven't done these for a while. Um, so Jerry's here. I have the mic off right now with Jerry, but I've been doing, um, I haven't done these for a while. You know, I've been very busy. Um, life over here is quite chaotic, but also some things you just grow out of the habit of, you know, it, it, it takes effort to keep the, some things going and some things go in the wayside. I think everyone was saying that we're all getting busy and uh, I guess, you know, me compared to other people, I could say, you know, um, I, I, you know, I have a lot going on. <laughs> I guess I don't have to be too hard on myself. So, um, I'm trying to think of some, some things that have, that have happened that recently that, that are pretty new. Wynn just had his birthday, his first birthday, which is a big deal. Um, my last child is having his first birthday. So a lot of, uh, things, you know, that were used to be first are now becoming last. Um, my last infant, it's over. I, uh, Sarah has also weaned with Wynn or Wynn is weaned. So that's over. Um, we've been at the fellowship for two years now, which has usually been kind of a uh, landmark for me. Usually when I get two years somewhere, it's usually the time that I end up, well, just in my history, I usually end up two years somewhere and then I end up moving. But it doesn't look like we're going anywhere. We're actually thinking about that. I'll just go off of this and then we'll, we'll bring Jerry in here. Um, <clears throat> that uh, if we did send our kids here till high school which would be about 13, 14, not, I guess, 15 years. But I guess if Wynn's one year old, he'd have to be about 18 by the time he's over. So that, so 17 years, 17 years. If we do 17 years here, and we also get our tax return every year, then we basically are going to be putting our kids through a $20,000 a year education, three of them, uh, private school education for free, so that's $60,000 a year for 12 years for each of them. And we would also be getting our tax returns, which means that we'll have some savings if we don't blow it on something else, that we will come out of here with putting our kids through that and having enough money to put them through college. And if you think about that, that means we're all of a sudden, you know, living like peasants, but, but having the... Uh, the effect of doctors, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because the kids that from the fellowship that are over there always seem a little out of place with Green Meadow because most of their parents are millionaires, 
You know, Green Meadow, you have to be pretty pretty um, well to do to be able to send your kids for $20,000 a year to high school or through for 12 grades. So we, either way, um, when you think of it like that, it's almost hard to to leave. So now I'm going to bring Jerry in in this conversation. She can that just... was your heart. No, 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 no. So Jerry wants me to talk about, you know, she says, oh, you well, you've just had a sparkly, f- easy, fancy-free life, right? And I was like, oh, you don't have a clue. Because we, we want Jerry to open up here a little bit. And so what better than me opening up myself? So, um... <clears throat> so so go ahead, Jerry. Get up to the mic just to say hi, just so we all know you're here. Hi. <laughs> all right. So Jerry Jerry is here, and um, so now I'm going to talk. So um, I was one of seven kids, um, born in poverty. We uh, lived on food stamps for most of my life. I've lived in, let's see. I was born in one house, and we moved to another house. And then I went when I went to school, we were moved to another house, all in the countryside of Buffalo. And um, um, I always wore hand-me-down clothes. Uh, and uh, I had an older brother, James, that was very close to me. And our house was always in tatters because my dad kind of – he he was very smart, but he had um, kind of a temperament that didn't seem to care about, you know, taking care of those things that for for actual having a family. You know, what most people would would consider, you know, essentials like food and clothes and and a little bit of money for some other things. And we didn't have any of that. Um, but it was much worse than my older brothers. I was six of the seven. I was, it was much worse what? It was much worse what? Do you want me to move the mic to a better place for you? No, it's Do okay. you like it there? Um, it was much worse for my older brothers. Um, my brother Todd, who is the oldest, who is um, who is now, um, he was born in 70, so now he is um, almost 46. He went to... 13, 14 different schools before he graduated between New York, Carolinas, Florida. Um, and he ended up in the end not graduating. Uh, he, he was fine. He was very able to, but he, he uh, just, you know, he got into drugs and, and decided he didn't, he want, he didn't want to go finish high school. So he got his, uh, you know, equivalency and uh, got an associate's much later on in life. Did you ever do drugs? I um, I have. I, I've never done anything besides alcohol and marijuana. Mm. You know, so, so I mean, you could say, you know, it's mild. My, my older brother, just, I, I want, let me, let me set this for you. Just so we get you, okay? Now, um... My, you know, my brothers, they did, uh, like LSD, um, mushrooms. Uh, one of my brothers I knew. Oh, psychedelics. Yeah. One of my brothers I knew did, did heroin once. Um, at least as far as I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they were into the Grateful Dead and stuff like that. Uh, we, my, we had a much more innocent life. My, the younger kids, um, we were, 
we had kind of a Christian um, upbringing. My my mom would would take us to church, and it was less about my family and more about the church that really kind of inspired us to be you know as good as we could until we kind of you know. And then when you become teenagers, you kind of like see through the bullshit a little bit. So uh, um, either way, uh, um, so. Part of my dad's story that kind of puts all this into perspective, my dad was the oldest of his family, um, oldest of four. My mom was the oldest of five. And sometimes the oldest get kind of the, 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 the crap end of the stick. And so two oldest together, you can imagine it's just a whole, you know, throw them, throw them in, in, the, in the pit and defend for themselves, you know? And so... They're come. They're they're in the uh, early end of baby boomers, and uh, and my grandpa, my my dad's dad, he um, he had uh, um, committed suicide when my dad was twelve years old, and he did it in a way that that you know my dad being kind of you know innocent, he uh, he did it in a way that my dad almost felt guilty about it. And he went into a a kind of a, a mental recession for quite a while. Um, and I think that partially has to do with the way that he lived out his life. He, he was always kind of running uh, and very introspective. But also, um, he, th- he's kind of, he says he self-diagnoses himself as Asperger's, which is a high-functioning high autism, which is just basically a person that has kind of um social retardation you could say you know he's talking to you but he doesn't get the finer details that you know even though someone's nodding and smiling you know they're not interested in what you're talking about you know and they're but yet they don't get the clue and they'll talk to you for an hour you know those sort of people that'll talk to you for hours and hours when you they they don't realize that you're not you know they're overdoing it you know what i mean that's the sort of kind of social thing that my dad does you know um, but generally, you know, besides the point, then I also, my, my second oldest brother, he also killed himself. Um, he also killed himself. Yes. Both of them killed themselves. My grandpa, my dad's dad. Oh. And then my second oldest brother, Bradley. Wow. My middle name is Bradley. I was born almost exactly a year after he had died. And that's that's always weighed heavily on me, even though I never knew him. But my oldest brother Todd obviously did. He was some in his early teens when it happened, and he had to help my mom during that situation. He, uh, it was with his pajamas, you know. He hung himself, and uh, you know my mom was in a panic, and uh, my my brother helped her get him down, and my dad wasn't there, you know. My dad was, of course, devastated because he thinks he might have been able to save him, you know, but they were just, you know, it was just, just a, you know, it happened. And I think that's in there in the family, you know, it's, it's, sometimes they say it's hereditary, but it's, you know, I think it's also kind of goes with that neuroticism we were talking about, you know, with, comes with, with kind of inward people overthinking, type of people that can get and 
wallow in depression. <clears throat> and then uh, Dave was the next in line. There was six boys and one girl. <laughs> my, my one sister was right in the middle of it all. And so there was some point where my dad finally went back to um, finally went back to college. He he had already had a master's in, in animal husbandry, which if you don't know, that's you know basically breeding and uh, genetics. And he never had a job from it, so he went back to school. And he's always been a great you know student. And he got a four zero average, and you know two years was an RN nurse uh, at the age of fifty. So it took my dad that long to to get a job. Basically, you know, I mean, he, he worked at farm jobs that for a pittance, basically, you know, he, I thought it was bad before, but he said, you know, for about eight years he worked, um, he would get one day off every two weeks for, and get $3 an hour with seven kids. Well, six kids without, you know, without Bradley. And, uh, you know, so that's what we were dealing with. I was always um, picked on at school. I was because we were always wearing hand-me-downs. I I never really cared about uh, having, um, you know, the proper clothes or anything. You know, when you're a child, you kind of just accept your situation a little easier. And I was a little bit like, there was a little bit part of me when I was a kid that I, uh, I didn't, I wasn't into what the other kids were into. I found that it was too uh, juvenile, you know, the kids with all their stupid little games, you know, that they play that, that were, that seemed so silly, you know, so innocent, I guess, you know, and I was just kind of mature, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it, but I, I, I was a little bit, I guess it's like, you know, like some kids that have seen certain things or have been involved in certain things, a lot of older siblings too. You know, they they obviously come come through that with a lot more, you know, um, maturity and thought and 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 things like that. And so, so you know, I always used to relate more to the to the to the teachers. And I remember I, every day I would always be <laughs> it was almost like the, it was the perfect setup. You know, the the, the um, our class was just big enough to fit on one table. Minus one kid. <laughs> and so I was always the kid sitting by myself in the lunch, you know. And uh, and I have, you know, there was other situations that, you know, are a little more sensitive that I, I, I wouldn't talk about, you know, easily. But, uh, but either way, all it led to the fact that I really had not many friends at all. Um. And I was very introspective kid, very quiet, um, spent a lot of time, um, spent a lot of time just thinking to myself, sitting by myself, you know, the same thing went along with, uh, my home life. I feel, I figured I was kind of like, like, a kind of a, a, in a sense, an abused kid because I had an older brother that was very close in age to me. James, that, um, you know, of course, was just a child, but he was obsessed with me because I had, I was, I was usually, 
I mean, it's not all about this, but there's one, there's an element that I was, I was pretty gifted and I was usually able to do anything he could do. And he was only a year older than me. So, you know, everything that he could do was kind of in my wheelhouse. And so that was tough on him. But it also happened way before there was even a chance, even when I was a baby, he didn't like me being there, you know. And that was unchecked because my mother by that point was just beyond, you know, beyond the point that she could handle anything, you know. She, there was always piles of mess everywhere. Um, you know, we got food on, on the table, but it was usually something pretty, you know, pretty, uh, not that great. You know, it was like things like potatoes, like boiled potatoes and carrots and, and, uh, ramen noodles and, and, and what? ramen noodles and macaroni, you know, like just, just, um, crump just you know not not your it's easy to make kind of lower class food i don't know what you want to say but it was just you know there was not much and it also disappeared anything that was good disappeared in no time because you know we didn't have much money and most of the time we were on food stamps and so we had a limited budget and so uh you know never uh uh what is that um what is it when from the government uh Welfare? Welfare. No, we didn't get welfare. I think we were at the time when welfare was, you know, first of all, my dad always had a job. Oh. So I think you don't get welfare if you have a job. So, um, yeah, we we were not on welfare. We were on just food stamps. And that happened once a month, you know. So basically, when we got them, then, you know, we'd have a little slurge of, food you know but then by the end of the month it was usually pretty thin and so we would be resorting to the the bottom pickings you know and it was it was it's not easy i went a lot of time being pretty hungry and thank thanks for public school you know free lunches and and uh and eventually free breakfasts you know it was that was nice that was you know a pretty you know a, a, a consistent meal so then, then I got older, but it continued like that for quite a long time. You know, I was definitely, you know, lowest on the totem pole. What totem pole? Of just the class, you know, the the, the elementary and, and school totem pole of, of, you know, popularity's coolness, you know. Um, and then there was a point where, you know, and but the, see, the thing is, you know, I had, I had a, there was kind of like, I didn't need it, but there was also, I mean, I, it didn't, it's not like it didn't affect me. You know, I, of course I was, I was in this group called special friends for kids that didn't have any friends. <laughs> there was this like social worker that would come, come to the school and just have a uh, talk with me and play like board games with me and stuff. And thinking about it now, you know, I mean, it was kind of natural as a kid, you know, I just kind of seems so weird, Joel. Uh, right, speaking so to the mic, the opposite. So it's it's been a long time since then. I mean, though I'm only 32, you know. So like I said, I had I had um, you know, the childhood, I had my um family. I when you have a big family, you're, you know, rich in company in some ways, you know. And and so we when you have a lot of older siblings, you're kind of um influenced on a lot of things and you actually have a step up on a lot of kids. Um 
but it didn't quite work for me initially. But I think it helped me when I got to be a teenager. Um, and then something something with becoming a teenager, maybe I don't know. I just started to care, maybe. And well, so you had good looks. So yeah, I started looking, caring about how I looked. I started, um, you know, but still, you know, when you don't have money for clothes, you don't have money for clothes. And so yeah. I still had hand-me-downs. Um, but then, you know, as far as there was a certain, well, basically, you know, compared to my brother, I had it pretty good, like my brother Todd, right? Um, and certainly my brother Bradley. And so when I got to be, or, or I mean, so I was in the same school from kindergarten to eighth grade, which was pretty good de- deal as far as we were concerned but then we did move again to another school district uh but we did we moved a bunch of times but we happened to be in the same school district at that point um and then we moved again to a different school district and that was a point where i was in eighth grade i was probably 15 or something like i don't know what age 14 and uh i was athletic i was musical and I was start, you know, I was blooming a little bit, and I was you were what blooming, you know, becoming understanding how to kind of make my socialize. image socialize, get an image, you know. And so I still was a million years behind the ball as far as it went with social. Like I didn't even know how to talk to a girl, you know. And uh, so, so it was, um, so I had a clean slate. When I went to this new school, things started to get better. One, one perfect. I, you can't escape a childhood like that, you know. Like I was socially awkward. Still, I was very because um, I never talked to anybody. You know, I only my only. I mean, I hardly did. Oh, like I that unchecked brother of mine. I hardly did any talking at home because I he was constantly beating me up constantly. Constant, and I was like I said, my mom was kind of like just had given up, and so she did not check that. So I, he was left unchecked, and just created this little culture of me constantly being kind of a slave to this this older brother of mine, mm. and that was tough too. You know that that gave I still to this day, like like you know if he makes a sudden movement i like by now way, yeah even now though he, of course he he um was kind of beaten out of it when when it got to high school and right around the early times of college that's when he finally like Couldn't got out of the got out of the spell you know there's this kind of a spell like a, a, a just a history you have and eventually you you grow out of it but i still had that going big time even in high school, and to the point where, you know, I was starting to get bigger than him. He was the shortest of all the of us. We were all pretty tall. My, my tallest brother is between Dave and Sean, my youngest brother, and uh, they're both 6'3", six, 6'4", six, six, and I'm about 6'2", almost 6'2", and Sean, James is 5'11", and for us, that's, that's a shorty, you know. And so, um, so, you know, there was some point I remember <laughs> – he just would get so angry, you know, and he would not stop, you know. So, like, it was it was a point of just plain old, I just, you know, I just wouldn't go there. You know, I just didn't want to. Because if you were to beat James, you know, in that game of abuse, you know, right, and bullying, 
you would have to go to the bitter end. You would have to literally beat him up to be able to beat him, right? And so I remember when it got to that point, I was in high school, um, and I got him in a chokehold. I like was behind him. I, I got behind him and I just was holding his neck, you know, like this. And I find then he was just getting redder and redder with rage, you know, and, and it's scary, you know, and, and I was just like, you know, when is it going to stop? You know? And finally I, I, you know, he, he, he said, what are you going to do? Kill me. And I was like, just stop, you know, just stop. And, and he, and he couldn't, you know, and I finally just let him go out of just mercy. And, uh, and then he like, did a little cheap shot and then then was done with it you know but i was just used to just taking a punch you know all the time and uh you know that does something to your psyche too mm. so you know all that was pre predated then my, eventually my birth of a little self-confidence but you know um it, it didn't start instantly with that new school, but it did help. That new school was very nice. It was um, a low population, but very nice public school. And um, and I developed some friends, and we started having hanging out, and things started started you know getting better. And so then you know then I you know I was kind of developed. I I finally had a girlfriend. You know. That, that, well, I mean, my first cases of girlfriends, it was so embarrassing. I didn't know what to do. That, you know, I was stiff. I was, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so, so, you know, it was very embarrassing. But, uh, eventually, um, when I got to 11th grade, you know, I kind of got, got the idea and was, did a little bit better. I, I think that's kind of how it is. You get your heartbreaks and, um, but the real heartbreak happened in college, but, college was was the biggest thing i was still kind of a dork in high school but i was also a you know a a sports star i was a music star and i was a drama star but i was still a dork i mean i was still i was like the king of the dorks at that point you know that's where my status had gotten to at that and then i went to college to music school and uh, that's where... Where'd you go? I went to the Crane School of Music up in Potsdam. Oh, so you picked music that early. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I did uh, four years. I was the first kid in my, my um, family to get a bachelor's. Um, though uh, not the first graduate. You know, my brother Todd and my sister Sarah both got associates before me. And then my brother James now has a master's, you know, so, so, you know, it's gotten better. I went and did the four years and got, you know, my bachelor's right away. You know, I was pretty good about that. I was, I was, ten, you know, I was, I was able enough to do that. But that was the big, um, the biggest clean slate moment where I wasn't prepared for college i was always a behind you know the game like you know late to the party and uh so in college i when i went there i mean i saw pictures of me then i mean i yeah i was a pretty you know i was a hot shot then and uh but i you, didn't you, i didn't feel like that i had ugly, ugly girl syndrome you know what i'm talking about you know what that means no so ugly girl syndrome means that you like you were ugly girl 
then you become a beautiful girl, right? But you still feel like you're an ugly girl, right? So, so then they're, they're have lower self esteem, you know, and, and a lower self image, right? And so I was, I had that syndrome going into college and I was getting just hit on left and right by women and by gay guys all over the place. And it was, it was very hard on me. You know, I really, you know, I mean, it kind of can build your self-confidence, but for me, I was just like, I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to say no to them. I didn't know how to reject people without, without feeling terrible, you know? So I would string these people along, you know, when I wouldn't want to, but I would, I didn't have interest in them, but there's so many people that did have interest in me and that's a tough position to be in, you know, when you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Mm. And so, you know, so, so, so there, have you heard enough? So things got better from then on. And I was able to little by little build up a sort of security in my, my ways. I got jobs. I became a teacher. I, uh, then I became a father and I started working on a farm and then I, uh, moved here. So, so that's, that's a, my life, and when I said my life was wild and cra- it was so different than yours. I mean, it, it it's like you came from Mars and I came from Jupiter. You know, they, there's no comparison to what we would talk about. I, I understand, but do you still feel like that you could be open? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did not come from sparkly, clean, you know, life, though it might seem like it now. And, you know, there's a lot of elements to my life. Like, for instance, my parents might have not had any interest or just had any, you know, financial sense or whatever, but they were good people. They never smoked. They never drank. They were ultimately taught us how to be very nice. And that, that is a nice skill to have. Mm-hmm. So now... Now I'm going to start diving into Jerry. Okay? It's it's so totally different. It's okay. What's what's the problem with that? We all have different lives. So, where did you come from? Where were you born? Uh what what year? 1941. Uh-huh. And I was born sort of a lot the way my I could almost stop now in a weird way. A lot of my life was like that, this mixture of money and uh-huh. poverty. Oh, yeah? And How did like, it start? My parents didn't particularly have any money when I was born. It's so complicated. Where Where was this? I was born in this fancy schmancy hospital. The Park East Hospital Where's on that? the east side of Manhattan. Okay. Uh, that doesn't, excuse me, I know, doesn't, doesn't exist s- anymore. Okay. Almost as different as the hospitals was four years later, my sister was born. We lived in Kew Gardens, Queens by then. And she was born in the Kew Gardens Hospital, which was just this average uh-huh. 
Joe kind of place. So what happened? Uh, how much? Uh, like what happened with your situation that made such a dramatic difference between where you girls were born? Did your parents lose something? Yeah, I mean, my father had huge problems, and I didn't think we were going to talk about this stuff. I thought we were going to talk about grown-up sex and... We could get there, but let's just let's just start with who Jerry, where she came from. Okay. I mean, this is comfortable enough to talk about, right? Yeah, but it's going to take, take forever. forever. It doesn't have to. We can just, we can get some of these things, where you were born, what situation, how you ended up to to get to the point where you're an adult. I mean, it doesn't have to it's be long. It's awfully complicated. Anyway, uh, my father, uh, from what happened to him, I won't go into all that, he uh, went into a deep depression, which I lived with for many, many years. And when I said to you the other day, I've never been depressed before. You thought I was being dramatic. I really meant that because I saw depression with my father, this man who sat in chairs and didn't work a great deal of of the time and who sat in chairs looking out into space and taking all the joy out of the room and making you feel guilty for any joy you were feeling as a young teenager or whatever, like with poor daddy suffering like that. Well, and what um, was there a reason, any particular reason? Did he lose something? Yeah. What did he lose? He lost his brother. He lost his, his the whole fortune, the family fortune. My father was a, a concert pianist. Oh. And he had the family business, and then he, I don't know, sort of lost every part of all of it and was unemployed and so, so he was a concert pianist, and but what was and the fi- great? What? I have never, I know the sound. Uh, this is dramatic. I never heard to this day anyone play the piano like my father did. That, that's that's nothing to be ashamed to say, you know. Um, so this is, but being a concert pianist does not equal family fortune. What did your money come from? What was your well, grandparents? When he was. Uh, being a concert pianist, he made a lot of money doing that. And at the same time, he had the family business. What was it? I never understood. Some kind of manufactured of something, and okay. he ran it. Your your dad or your grandpa? My father. Yeah. And he married. He had married my mother who was Italian, and he wasn't, except he became the most Italian, Italian you ever met in your <laughs> life. So so how did, I mean, is Labrizzi your maiden name? No, my uh, first married name. Okay, so you kept that name. Yeah. And, yeah, I had my two kids with him, and truthfully, I really loved 
him the most of all. It was just very volatile and dramatic and all this stuff, but it wasn't. Well, Hold he it. went to a period of great poverty, Jerry. Jerry. hand-me-downs, um, you know, the humiliation of it. Yeah. Uh, I remember a pair of green shoes with flaps on them or something, and no, the kids pointing at them on the school bus and laughing at me. And So it sounds like something we shared. Yeah. And um, I was the kind of kid, I was skinny, and skinny wasn't considered good. Now, I was like Aster. That's why I'm so in love yeah, with yeah, Aster. Yeah. Like a kind but of kind of bony. it was not considered cute yeah. or anything then. Yeah. It was considered ricky-tacky. Yeah. And I climbed trees, and, you know, but... Messy, like my my socks fell down into my shoes. My slip came down from my skirt. I just didn't know how to get it all together. And then when I was 14, I started to model, which was so absurd for someone who was the Cinderella of Cinderella's. But, but you, but 14, you probably blossomed a little bit. I blossomed a lot. I, I, totally looked different. You wouldn't have recognized the person. And I started to model for this artist who saw me in the Greenwich Village uh, arts show. And he said to me, do you want me to paint your picture? And I said, no, I don't have any money. He said, I don't mean for money. He said, I'll pay you. I said, what? (laughs) And I started to work for him. I I posed for him every week. It became money and a job, and all of a sudden I had money. I told my mother about it, and she flipped out. Was there was there nude modeling involved? No, no. I, were you were you still that age, fourteen, fifteen? Well, I did it from when I was fourteen till I was twenty one when I got married, and um. My mother said it was white slavery, and I should never do such a thing. So what gives your mother this sort of attitude? Was she also kind of came from higher, you know, upper bread? No, but... She was very Italian, you said. Yeah. Does that have something to do with it? Probably. I mean, you didn't model. I don't know. It just wasn't so... Okay, I got you. I got you. And um, anyway, I everything changed then. All of a sudden, every boy in the world liked me. I learned how to flirt. I was a bit. I'm still, believe it or not, I'm seventy. I'm going to be this week seventy five, and I still can flirt like a son of a bitch. <laughs> Okay. So, so you you knew how to how to to kind of bring it on to. to, to oh, I really did. I yeah. knew how to dress. I knew how to pull it together. Then I got here. The weird thing with that is, when I came up here, I was very very sick, which is why I'm here. 
That's okay. But, I mean, you're also skipping a, a lot over. Okay. So, I mean, you were a model, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, brrr, you're 60 years old coming to the fellowship. I mean, um, there's a lot. I oh, mean, tons. I'm just... Just just get, making a point yeah. about about you and, and attracting men. Yes. Yeah. But that was a big part of my life that that yeah. happened, and I did it, and it bought me another life. You know, mm-hmm. and um, then I got married to an artist who I was incredibly passionately in love with, and then he was also a bastard of bastards. When, how old were you then? Uh, 21. So you got married pretty young. Yeah. And I had my daughter two years later. And then I had my son four years after that. No, six years after that. So if you were 21 when you had your daughter pretty much, then you would have been about 36, 37 when you left? I can't do that stuff. You add it up. So she was 15, 16? How old were you kids when, when you left, you finally left? How old was she? I can't I'm Was she an mad. adult? I panic about math. Okay. Was she an adult? No. She was still a teenager when you yeah. left? Yeah. Okay. So you weren't you weren't in but your forties. She 40s. left before I did. So you weren't in your forties yet? No. I would guess. So what happened during that time? I mean that must because you I remember well, I this also, is the only I thing. was a genius in school. I mean, literally, they did tests on me, and my mother got paid to take me to these places because I was such a genius. And uh, I heard that all through school, that was my karma. Was you know, I was the brilliant one, the one who was on the dean's list, and. Etc. Etc. And I bu- read books when I was four years old, and you know, yeah. And um, oh, this is so hard to do. You were you you modeled, but if you were if you were that good at school, then did you? I mean, did you go to art school? Yeah, I went to yeah. I went after high school. I went to college. I went to the art students league. And I went to FIT, all three. And I was on the dean's list all through college. And I went back again to finish up as an adult. And then I wouldn't finish it because I didn't want to graduate because my mother wanted me to be a school teacher, and if I graduated, I would have had to have been a school teacher. So, so I did everything but graduate. So your mom kind of doted on you. She was she was hovering over you. Oh yeah. She was an Italian mother that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I was smart, and the one thing she didn't give two dams about, I was extremely athletic. Mm-hmm. She didn't care. I have a medal from Madison Square Garden for competing in all the gymnastic activities. Uh, second place in New York City. And uh, wow, 
I came home with that to show my parents. I could have shown them a glove of, you know. Of yeah, I got gotcha. you. Nothing you could have showed them. Showed them a pile of shit, and they would have cared less. More. More. Yeah. And I, my father was a great handball player, and. I used to walk, I don't know, I think it was a couple of miles in each direction to this place where they had handball courts. And I learned how to play handball so good that I played with the men with the hard black ball and, you know, men who really competed at this my father and his cronies. And, oh, God, my life was so complicated. I haven't even gotten to anything hairy. Why don't you ask sort of specific things? I can. I can. Today, huh? I can, sure. Okay, so you went to college. You went to art, didn't go to art school. What what sort of college was it? I did. Yeah, what was, what's well, applied? Well, I went to Queens College. What was the degree you were going towards? At that point, a bachelor's. What kind? In art. Fine art. Okay, so um, you were very gifted. You were you were physically gifted. You were you were mentally gifted. You were pretty. And so, um, but you had a doting mother and a depressed father, right? You're really summing it up good. <laughs> and you were living in the city. Or the outside of the city in the Queens area, and um, but you had a lot going for you. But what? So so it sounds like you've had twists and turns. So there was a there was a point Tons. where you you wanted to to fight your mother, and where did that lead you? You wanted to kind of you wanted to rebel. You wanted to to run away from that. Did you? No. You got married young. I mean, you got married before you'd even have a chance to graduate. So I mean, you got you got into that mess very early. I didn't think it was a mess. Well, I was really so. So you fell in love with what sort of man was he? I mean, you said he was rich. He was no. He got to be rich. What happened? Very rich, being an art dealer. Art dealer. Mm-hmm. Ah, did he help you with your art? No, I was a good artist. Did he? No. Did he help you deal your art? No, I I mostly made it on my own took my stuff to galleries and they liked it and sold it. I, I did pretty well. So did you have kind of a bohemian lifestyle with him? Or were you just yeah, a, a mother? Yeah, and first it was the poor bohemians and then it was the rich bohemians. But, yeah. So you always were doing something artistic? Yes. Did you ever actually make much of a living, or did you depend on your husband's money and you you did what you wanted the and raised children? The real money that came, no. When I modeled, I made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. When I when I was married to him, and I really did work with him at the art business. We made a ton of money. With my second husband, we had an entertainment business, and we made a lot of money at that. 
so a great deal of it was making a lot of money, and then there were dips in it, you know, times right. when it wasn't like can, that. Can you think of your first real dip when you were when you had it and then lost it? Was it when you were with your first husband? And since you were living such a bohemian lifestyle, did you get involved in anything like drugs and sex? Sex, yes. Like free, free, uh, you know, open marriage? Yeah, kind of that. Yeah. More than anything else. And uh, it was wild and crazy. And there was, when there was money, there was uh, Studio 54 and uh, champagne and cocaine and, and the sexiest, most expensive clothes in the world. I had a mink coat made for me by a Madison Avenue furrier from the. The muslin, you know, it was made from scratch. Uh-huh. And I ended up with nine fur coats by the time I left him. And your, I just left husband. them behind. I left everything. I've lost everything I ever had. So cocaine was a big one? No, I never got hooked on But you, you did it. You had you had some good parties. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had fun. You, uh, should I, I know? Should it I know? Yeah, you danced. You just had so, you had a good free artsy lifestyle in yeah. in New York. Yeah. And Studio 54, should I and know what we that were is? Part of Oh, yeah, that was the biggest uh uh club. Okay. Dance club that was in all of New York. So it's and it's so did you meet any celebrities? Sting? Sting? That's that's something. I heard Andy Warhol. Well, we became part of the Andy Warhol group for some years. Is that related to Studio 54? Yeah, we went there with them. So, Sting, huh? Like um, anybody else have mentioned? Just people that you saw in and out of there. I mean, you prob- there was probably quite a scene in those days. And, it was, and, always. and that was a big part of it. Yeah. If you could find art news from back then or whatever, you know. Or uh, Andy's uh, magazine interview, we would have been in that. You know, it was it was pretty high and pretty exciting. Yeah, I had we had low times where money wasn't so good, and then we had high times where you know I had cleaning help and I had. Uh, fancy clothes and I lived high on the hawk and then wasn't always that way I went out, I spent every weekend of my life going out yeah and living that life and so did you ever have litter and you know yeah and it was was it always exciting did you ever have spouts of depression or or like no that's why I told you remember we were in the girder room one day you never like, were depressed. And I said I was never depressed, and you thought I was just saying that. And I was comparing that. To your father. And I really never was. If that was depression, I was never depressed. I, I, I had moments and times when I wasn't so happy. Like, I'm not happy now at all living here. But... um. 
I don't think I'm depressed. Not that heavy. Well, I think depression comes in in many forms. Mm. You know, and your father probably had clinical severe depression. Yes. Right? Not that he took pills, but he should have. Maybe should have, yeah. And you... And my second husband had depression. uh Uh-huh. And he reminded me of my father. Yeah. Which was creepy. I mean, being married to this guy who reminds you of the man who caused you the most pain, you well, know? You know, they say that happens often. Mm. The, the Oedipal, Oedip, you know, what I'm talking about, right? Oedipus. Would you have known any of this about me? Would you have surmised this? I wore makeup from when I was 14 on. Yeah. And I always thought the reason people were really so attracted to me was because of the makeup I wore because I knew how to make myself look good. Uh Uh-huh. Since I've been here, I haven't worn a stitch of makeup except maybe a day or two. Like, stupidly, I wore it to that breakfast yesterday. No one noticed, but (laughs) it doesn't matter. It's so funny. You haven't gotten out of that game yet, have you? You still you still care. Yeah. How do you what what makes you care so much? You're you're I mean, not that I, I just wanna pry too much, but I mean Well when you're you've come from being the girl with a slip hanging down and you know, your your hot parents stuff. not recognizing that you want a silver medal for gymnastics and all that stuff and all of a sudden everybody wants you you know it changed my whole life and then yeah I mean just years went on I I don't believe I'm 75 that's nuts yeah it never was gonna happen to me so so you're not gonna be a person that accepts ever that you are an older woman Probably not. Yeah. But you are conscious about that. Yeah. But I find it hard to take because... Because of what you had. Because of what I had and because there's a very definite thing called ageism. Uh You know, prejudice against people who are older. Mm -hmm. They are no longer accepted as desirable or uh, friends or lovers or anything. You know, that gets... So that that consciousness goes into the um, level of how much you value having to have be sexually attractive. Like, that's everything to you. Yeah. It's not what it was. I wouldn't have looked like this for anything in the world when I was younger. Uh-huh. No way, Jose. <laughs> you know, I took the whole mask off, the whole everything. Do you ever find that you do? You, do you ever think to yourself that I mean, like, like who are you kidding? You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean that in like a, a bad way. I just mean that in the way of like acceptance. Like, some point people have to accept that. You're you're at that place in your life. You were I'm once having trouble with it. You were once a young girl, and now you're not. I'm having trouble with it because I don't feel that way. But you know, 
whenever people have a foundation like that, it's a foundation on of of, of it's a faulty foundation. You know what I mean? Because not that it's it's this is getting depressing. <laughs> <laughs> not that it, I mean, see, I'm not trying to say that like you have to not feel like you're beautiful or or anything. Because I mean, everyone is beautiful. Everyone has their way of being beautiful. But I I know you have a sense of beauty that that you you believe is like like standards, just like you have standards with your singing, and you have hard standards on yourself. And I almost I almost pity the fact that you do. Yeah, the voice that's coming out now has nothing to the voice that came out when I was singing. Sure, and but but the fact that and you, I don't know why you've accepted me. I don't, and the fact that you beat yourself up so much about it. What's it worth? Why? Because I like to be a winner. Because I like. So I'm I'm going to get off that heavy point, but um, you know, I mean, we could close this at any point now. I mean, I feel like it's very interesting, and I and I think that you serve to for the better to have conversations like this. I think it's really true because you know the, the I like you so much, and I feel so close to you. And I can tell. I mean, this is I I understand a lot more about you now. You yeah, know, but I told you this I, much, Ada. and I would love to hear more. There's, there's one Yours thing. This was so much easier than mine. There's one thing I could tell you that Basically was. Basically, it was about poverty and uh, um, uh, winning and losing, which, I mean, that's a big part of everything with most people. But um, mine, and especially if I had gone on more, would have been. Well, you've had a longer life than I have. You know, I mean. True, but I didn't. I didn't go. So maybe I'm going to try to kind of ask you a few questions that that reels this in a little bit. You'll see. Yeah. You'll see. So so basically, you ended up having a second husband, and uh, <laughs> and Jerry gives a face like, oh, you know, and he reminded you of your dad. Uh, only the dis- depression. And, and the depression, because you recognized it. And uh, so so that was draining, probably for you. And um, it sounds like that that marriage is also over. Now, is it Labritzi from the first or second marriage? Oh, the first. So, so um, did you keep that for your kids' sake? Or did you- no, my own. Traditionalist? Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I you, so you still love him, and you you were seeing Gerald as a doctor before you came here. Thirty years, yeah, for thirty years. So so you've been seeing Gerald for a long time before you came here, and then eventually, when you were at your lowest, I don't know what you you said that you you had nothing when you came here. Oh man, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh-huh. Um, Can you explain a little bit? I was very, very physically sick. Very sick. From the coronavirus? And he had been treated me, treating me for all those years. So he knew how sick I was. 
And one day, my phone rings. And, oh, no, 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 no. I have to back up. Lenny had come with me. That was my second husband. He had come with me to uh, an appointment with Gerald. And he sat at the desk when I was sitting at the desk with Gerald. And Gerald looked at him and said, you're having a heart attack. And I'm like, really? what? And, yeah, which is why the other day I said to Gerald, Gerald, I'm so sick. He said, you'll be better by tomorrow. And son of a bitch, I was better by tomorrow. And so he took an EKG of Lenny, and Lenny not only had a heart attack, but a stroke, and was taken immediately to the hospital, a Samaritan one, and uh, he, uh, I was left alone, and I also didn't know, because I trusted Lenny. I mean, we were married, and I really did trust him. Well, I was left without any money. You don't have to know why. And anyway, I had to move from good uh, status financially and all that to a tenement apartment. And I was living there. And one day the phone rang, and uh, it was Gerald. And he said, pack everything you can fit into a 10 by 10 foot room. We're coming to get you in two days. And I mean, it was, I want to explain it. Like saying, take all the birds out of the sky and bring them with you. You know, it was like I had a lot of stuff, yeah. and I I just picked, 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 and this is what it is. This is what I ended up. Yeah, with. Jerry has a lot of, um, you know, I mean, not a lot, but a good amount of art, some pictures, some books, you know, a few bit pieces of furniture. Yeah. That's about it. French is good, though. And a lot of shoes. But really? not anything compared to what you used to have, right? Yeah, I didn't even bring shoes. I gave them all away. Yeah. Like about 40 pairs of shoes. And I gave away nine fur coats. Do you still have another? I, no, I gave them all away, including the mink coat. You weren't that interested in at least selling them? Me, huh? You weren't interested in at least selling them? I was crazy. You, I was you're just, just so fraught with pain and confusion. I didn't know or care about anything. They, I, when we took Lenny to the hospital, uh, we left my car here because we went in an ambulance. And sometime later, Gerald called me and said, your car is here. 
do you, what do you want us to do with it? I said, I don't give a damn, just keep it. <laughs> so I don't have a car anymore. It was a decent car. And So that was your attitude probably because you were burnt that bad. Hmm. You were burnt big time. Yeah. That I had no money. You and you had you were shocked. And so you were shocked and to the point where you just like screw it Didn't all. Give a damn about anything. So you even after all that, you couldn't say that you might have been depressed. Not your dad's depression, but maybe Did you I were not. I wasn't really. I still had hope and pluck in me. I don't know why, but I did. Yeah. And the next time that I knew depression was when I couldn't sing here because I thought I had finally latched on to someone and something that was going to make my life worth living again. And then I thought I was losing that. Yeah. And that was more than I could handle. And I've been depressed ever since then. So you do admit that you've been depressed? Since then. The singing. Just the singing. That was like your last thing. The last yeah. thing you lost that, you know, they can't, they can take all my money, but they can't take my voice and my, yeah. my beauty, right? Yeah. And then you got that taken away from you. Yeah. So what do you have left? Yeah. You still are somebody, you know. Hmm? You still are somebody. <laughs> so here you are now, 10 years later. More than that. Here? Yeah. I'm here four years. Four years. Okay, four years. I don't know, for some reason I thought it was ten. Four years later, here you are now. And, and you were like my savior. You you came into my life and offered me like a last chance. Well I thought I, I had a chance to do something beautiful again. Sure. But I also try to remind you over and over again that something beautiful doesn't have to be like amazing, you know, in this, you don't have to have the standards that makes you depressed, but anything. you just have to feel like you did something beautiful, right? Mm, and but I, I wouldn't be content, and this sounds weird, being even Billy Holiday. I want to sing German leader. I want to sing music that I think is And I do understand that. And I understand that even more so knowing a little bit more of your history. But I still feel like there's an element of being able to be happy is being able to be happy, right? And and if and if you want to be happy, it's it's as much of a choice as anything else. You know what I mean? And and I think, if anything, that has been my my interest, you know. May I ask you something? Of course. What made you take me on? I was just well. I've, I've, I I mean I older woman. It's, who said she had sung. Yeah, but also you know I mean. And the voice was broken. 
I, you know, I have had experience as a music therapist, right? I went to school for music therapy. And I believe music has a healing, you know, element to it, of course. I mean, or else music therapy would have no meaning. And, uh, and so there's various elements of music therapy, one being that it can change you, and another meaning that you doing it can change you. Right. One that it can have its effect on you. And then another that while you do it yourself, that has it's also obviously even more so a more profound effect on you. And so some people talk to you for the next 40 years. (laughs) Some people have more of a knack to be quickly into it than others. You're not the only person I go and do stuff with, you know, um, I mean, I don't want to make you feel like you're that special in my life. I mean, of course you are special, but I just want to make you know that, like, if, you, if you're if under this impression that I'm just coming to you out of everyone else, that's not true. I, I'm coming to you as someone that I feel like I can help. I know, but it just seems so weird. Why? Because you need help. But what do you get out of it? The, helping the winning someone. thing Help. of helping. Everyone here would get something out of you being helped. Everyone loves you, Jerry. You know that. Who the hell loves me here? Everybody. It's just that you have such a hard time accepting that and we and everyone has their way of trying to pick get their own side of it and go come out beaten and depressed because jerry has sucked their energy away from them and maybe i just have more energy than they do maybe i just have more intention than they do and I, 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 I feel like I can help someone, and so I continue to try. I'm I mean, in the to me, it was like... And, it's, and it, I, I have my boundaries. I keep it at a half hour every week. I know you would like to exceed those boundaries, but I don't let you. And I also have my boundaries with when you try to praise me too much because I don't want you to make it feel like this is anything more special than anybody else. Because you are special, but everyone else is special, too. But what you've done for me is so special. And I, and I accept that, and I'm glad that I can. But I've also done it for many other people. And, and so if you want to ask why, I hope that answers your question. I would do it for anyone. And so, Even if they couldn't carry a tune kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But you can carry a tune. And that's half of the, the luring attraction, of course. And and uh, so I'm running out of battery here, but I, I want you to just have any little word of anything you want to say at the end. But um, um, that's it. We're done. Wow. And I know that there's so much more. There is. But for another day okay thank you yeah you you I, I can't tell you the good you've done me and I really want to clear up my throat 
and continue to grow with the singing because it's the best chance I have to get to where I want to go in life before I die. Well, the second you start believing you're beautiful without makeup, without hair, without a smile, you know, without your body, maybe that's the second that you start achieving those goals. All right. Bye, Jerry.